Hello and welcome to our quarterly podcast. I'm Helen Watson, CEO of the UK Wealth Management Business, and I'm joined today by Global Investment Strategist Victor Balfour and our co-head of Portfolio Management, Rupin Patel. For those of you that listen to us uh, frequently, I think this is the first time it hasn't been Mr. Capel Cure who's joined us uh, from the Portfolio Management team. Uh, sadly, Hugo has COVID, so we have a worthy stand-in in Rupin. As usual, we sit down at the end of the quarter to discuss the last three months of both uh, macro market and portfolio activity. Rupin, we've had a difficult quarter, no let up after a difficult first quarter. So I think before we talk about anything else, can we just talk about uh, recent portfolio performance? Absolutely. So as usual, these numbers are for inflation plus three portfolios and their new court fund equivalents. So for sterling portfolios, they're down around 8% in the second quarter, which takes the year-to-date performance down to minus 10%. For dollar portfolios, they're down about 10% in the second quarter, which means they're down 13% year-to-date. And the difference is largely due to the currency mix when thinking of the sterling portfolios and the dollar portfolios. And for the euro portfolios, they're down 9% and 11% respectively. So it's been one of the most difficult quarters that I can remember. And the declines are similar in magnitude to quarter one in 2020, when obviously the pandemic struck. So it's been a tough period so far. So Victor, can you give us a bit more colour given everything that's been going on in markets? I mean, I think sort of echoing Rupin's final remark there, I mean, there were really very few hiding places this quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, stocks were down 16%, bonds were down about 8%. Depends on your, on your local currency as well there. Commodities were down about six. Uh, and even cryptocurrencies had an unusually volatile quarter, uh, down a pretty remarkable 65%. But within stock markets, it has been very broad-based across, across both sort of regions and sectors. But the growth parts were the weakest. And you know the Nasdaq, for example, had its worst start of the year, ever finishing the first half down a little under a third. What I would say is that you know this volatility is, of course, very unsettling. But it's particularly surprising in the context of, of bonds. And if we look at the you know, US Treasury market, for example, this was down nearly a quarter in real terms. If we look at it from its peak a couple of years ago, um, which is you know, on, on track to be one of its worst drawdowns that we've seen uh, since the 70s and 80s period. So there's a lot of kind of big macro themes out there at the moment sort of dominating um, the narrative. So we've got inflation, we've got raising interest rates, we've got sort of tragic geopolitical situation in Ukraine, let's not even talk about the UK. How, you know, how has that evolved over the quarter? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly uncertain out there. Um, and still, you know, as you've heard from those numbers, a very difficult investment backdrop. Undoubtedly, the biggest tail risk is, is still Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine, um, where that you know, the tragic human toll course continues to mount, as do you know the economic consequences. And in recent months, we've seen a even more concerted action from the West, and it's a tightening of the, of the kind of financial noose, if you, if you like, around Russia uh, in the form of sanctions and, and efforts to reduce you know, dependence on Russian energy. But for now, I think, sadly, we kind of have to assume that this sort of war of attrition, if you like, which is, you know, coalesced around the Donbass region, is unlikely, unlikely to end uh, anytime soon. That said, in terms of the sort of dominant market themes, and you've touched on a couple of them there, Helen, you know, sentiment has shifted over the past couple of months. Um, we've seen more kind of conventional cyclical concerns come to the fore, and that's you know, the that inflation story, that steepening trajectory for interest rates, and of course what that means for the kind of the, the economy going ahead. In terms of the sort of detail, just offer offer a bit more colour there. I think you know headline inflation rates have moved higher; they're now at you know fresh multi-decade highs in the US and the eurozone, eight point six percent. 
UK a little higher, 9.1%. Before you ask, and I'm not going to call that elusive peak, it's, it's been later uh, and higher than we originally anticipated. But of course, the commodity story has been fading a little bit in the last few weeks, now 15% of its peak. And if you know, we're looking, if that does continue, that, that should ease that upward pressure on prices as we go into the second half of this year and, of course, into 2023. We still, of course, maintain our view that some <coughs> underlying inflation risk will persist, of course, longer term. You know, and as a consequence of all of this, um, of course, monetary policy has turned even more hawkish this quarter. The Fed sent a very strong message last meeting, hiking by 75 basis points. That's the biggest move, single move we've seen since the early 90s. Still at similar increments are likely ahead. The Bank of England also hiked once again, um, now base rates at one and a quarter percent. And most remarkably of all, we saw the Swiss National Bank starting its uh, tightening cycle uh, as well. Um, I think it's clear that you know, central banks are determined to sort of maintain credibility um, and keep long-term uh, inflation expectations anchored. Finally, just in terms of that uh, economic picture, activity momentum has continued to fade this quarter. Uh, particularly in places like China, where it's obviously been grappling with various lockdowns, uh, but even too in the US, uh, which has been somewhat weaker than expected. From our side, you know, as we're seeing it today, the shape of the data overall still suggests there's some underlying momentum at the kind of global level, um, even if that does continue to slow. So we, we keep hearing about recession. Well, that's a word that I'm hearing a lot at the moment. Do you think we are on the precipice of another downturn? It's a, it's a very valid question. I think the short answer is that we think a slowdown, not a collapse, is at hand. Okay. The longer answer, a bit more nuanced. I think it's clear that if we're looking at the US in particular, you know, there's a mountain possibility that it may enter a sort of technical recession in the first half of this year as two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. But a temporary and I guess unremarkable reverse on US growth does not equate to a global economic downturn. I think we should be clear about that. You know, recessions come in different forms, both in terms of their sort of magnitude and, and their length. And of course, their, their impact can vary enormously. You know, we think about the trauma associated with the global financial crisis or obviously even more recently COVID. You know, that's the cyclical risk today are nowhere near this scale. You know, we don't think a financial crisis, for example, um, is at hand. The second sort of part of this is just thinking about the likely impact on, on markets. And, you know, recessions affect stocks via their impact on business, you know, falling revenues, squeeze margins, um, write-downs, credit risk, that sort of thing. This isn't yet playing out. You know, top lines are growing briskly, so too are earnings. And even if that story is flattered by the energy sector, you know, the underlying story is still pretty respectable. Uh, and of course, you know, markets, of course, haven't ignored the threat of rising interest rates this year. And there's some of those growth risks maybe partially, if not, you know, fully priced in. So I think sort of our view is that, you know, we will, of course, at some stage, see a more meaningful economic setback. But I think Given where we are today in terms of the economic story, you know, strong employment growth, some of those data points are uh, still pretty healthy and not really at levels consistent with a, an economy is in, in deep recession. Okay, so that sounds somewhat encouraging. <laughs> Turning back to the portfolio performance, look, we're always disappointed when portfolios fall, but we've held up relatively well, um, really, given the sort of pullbacks that we've seen both across equities and, as Victor said, you know, across bond markets as well. And even in alternatives, such as sort of gold and commodities, can you just talk us through why that is, Ruben? Sure. So, I mean, you're absolutely correct that we're, we're never happy to report negative returns to our clients. But do we, we do accept that that will happen from time to time. And that's the nature of in markets and investing. That's also the reason we have diversifying assets in the portfolio. 
they're there to offset some of the losses we may see from return assets from time to time, i.e. to provide some protection. Uh, and that's exactly what they've done in the, in the most recent quarter. So our diversifying assets were actually up in quarter two, generating a return of about one and a half percent. And there were two standout performers. The first is our trend followers, both Abbey Capital and CFM, and they were up between 11% and 13% in the quarter. And the second was Acora, our tail risk manager, which returned 40% in the quarter. So our diversifying assets have continued to provide some protection, just as they did in the first quarter. And that takes their year-to-date contribution to about 2.7%. So they've generated some decent returns for us in these difficult markets. Maybe just as a comparison, if you just held UK government bonds in this last um, half year, instead of what we held in our diversifying assets, the difference in returns would have been closer to 6%, i.e. UK government bonds would have contributed about minus 3% if we'd held them. Instead, we held our diversifying assets that contributed nearly plus 3%. So the diversifying assets has worked, which is great because that's what we would hope and expect in that sort of environment. So what is it that hasn't worked? So it'll come as no surprise, given what Victor just talked about, that most of the declines in the quarter and in the year-to-date period have come from our return assets. With all the major regions and sectors declining in the quarter, there really weren't too many places to, to hide. Um, so the performance of our return assets was minus 17% for the quarter. And given our approximately 60% weighting to return assets, this meant they contributed minus 11% to returns. So a tough period, as we've said already. And we saw all our holdings decline in value with one exception, which was Vanda, our Chinese equity focus manager, which was actually up 8% in the second quarter. Having had quite a difficult... Period. Having had quite a difficult last nine months, in fact. And as Victor's already mentioned, you know, the share price declines were pretty indiscriminate across the board. Mm-hmm. So-called growth companies fell in value with online travel agent booking holdings, which were holding the portfolio, down 25%. And the equipment rental provider, Ashton, down nearly 29%. What you may think of businesses with more defensive characteristics also saw share prices decline. So Linda, the industrial gases company, was down nearly 10%. And Eurofins, which is the testing company, was down 17%. And it's not just our direct stocks. Our fund managers also found the going pretty tough during the most recent quarter. Bears, which is our US-based manager, were really looking for the extreme long-term winners, winners rather, continued to struggle, and they were down nearly 43% in the quarter. We actually held several calls with them during the most recent period, really to get a better understanding of what was happening to their portfolio holdings. And what they told us was that in nearly all the cases of the stocks they hold in their portfolio, the businesses had actually reported growth, albeit at lower levels than they'd seen previously, i.e. these businesses continued to execute well and grow, Maybe not at the speed that the markets had expected, uh, particularly this time last year. And perhaps markets had expected too much. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe they were expecting way too much this time last year. And we've also seen that with companies we're watching as well. So we've seen their share price and valuation got pretty carried away about this time last year when mm-hmm. interest rates were still low, inflation was supposedly transitory, and the pandemic and its impact on businesses was still in full effect. You know, investors at that point seemed pretty willing to pay up for growth. And we got to a point where businesses with strong revenue growth, but still not making profits, were trading at historic highs. 
Now that we are seeing macro headwinds, the focus has shifted back from growth and towards profits. Good. And the share prices of some of the darlings of 2020 and 2021 have come rattling back. Netflix is a great example here, actually, with its share price declining 75% from its peak last autumn to a level now that is below its um, COVID levels. And that's actually got one of our managers fairly interested in this business. Mm. Um, and they've made a small position, they've taken a small position size more recently. So opportunities are now coming up. Beginning to emerge. Victor, you talked about cryptocurrencies. This is not something that we often talk about. It's obviously pretty topical. You said that some of them were down, you know, almost a third, two thirds, sorry, mm. two, from, yeah, their, yeah, from their peak last year. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a kind of knock on effect to broader markets? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because even the crypto space isn't obviously immune from, from rising interest yeah. rates. And some people are dubbing what we're seeing at the moment the kind of crypto winter, for want of a better phrase. Uh, but certainly there have been some big casualties this year, particularly when, within this kind of some of the ironically named stable coins. Yes. You know, some of these have gone right to zero. Um, whether this kind of popping or deflating of the bubble continues remains to be seen. But I think for us, it certainly highlights the kind of fragility of this, this digital ecosystem. There are a lot mm-hmm. of feedback loops that exist uh, between the various assets. And I think one of the kind of concerns that's come out of, of the last couple of months is whether, you know, financial stability is under threat. You know, the sheer size of the crypto space, it was about three trillion in value late last year. Um, today, it's about one trillion. Um, you know, it means that it is more interconnected with other asset classes and, and the real economy than it has been historically. I think our view on this subject is that, you know, wider contagion risk is likely contained, we hope, uh, looking ahead. You know, its correlation with, with risk assets, you know, does not imply causation. And it's more likely that, you know, cause and effect probably run in the other direction. I think from an investment perspective, what I would say is, you know, we're not particularly surprised by the volatility of these assets. Yeah, as you know, we've been pretty sceptical all along. I think this episode is probably an important reminder to us and to our clients of why we avoid such speculative assets. You know, cryptocurrencies are not immune to uncertainty. Mm. They're not inflation hedges. And I think... Uh, most important, they're not a store of value. So, Rupert, you said that one of our managers is getting in, interested in Netflix because it's down 75%. I'm pretty confident that I can say you're not going to buy crypto. <laughs> um, but are there other things that you are seeing as opportunities? Well, so your confidence is justified. We're Good. certainly not buying cryptocurrencies in this sell-off and certainly have no intention to either. We'll leave that to the speculators for now. And we are seeing some opportunities, but we're not getting carried away just yet. Um, We've always said that when high quality companies go on sale, we would get excited. We don't think that we're there across the board, but are seeing some opportunities popping up now for us and our managers. This wasn't the case so much last summer. We've added marginally to bears as we've seen the share prices of the business they hold fall significantly, even though they continue to execute well. Similarly, we topped up Ward Variation Smaller Companies Fund as they talked to us about some of the compelling opportunities that they're seeing in their markets, which is Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also added a new position in Microsoft to the portfolio. We see Microsoft as being a key beneficiary to the ongoing move to the cloud. As one expert we talked to, he said that we're probably in the second innings of this transition. So there really is a long growth runway, we think, uh, for Microsoft and the shift towards the cloud. We had been looking at Microsoft for some time, actually, particularly towards the back end of last year, but we just felt the price was too high. So we stayed patient and then finally took a small position in around May this year after the share price had fallen 25% from Mm -hmm. its high. 
we think we bought a real high quality business here at a reasonable price and we'd certainly consider adding further to the position on any further significant share price decline, uh, i.e. we'll stay patient as it stands at the moment. Victor, um, crystal ball time. If you look ahead to the extent that one can, mm. you know, what's what's our sort of top-down view here as, as we sit today? Well, I mean, in terms of the kind of economic story, you know, I hope my comments earlier were clear enough. I think we're not yet ready to call time on this cycle. I mean, of course, cycle timings have all been arguably put mm. askew by the pandemic episode. But, you know, I think as, as we sit here today, that trade-off between you know, tightening policy on the one hand and growth on the other still remains broadly um, supportive. And I think, you know, this will continue to kind of support profitability uh, and underpin equity valuations, which have gained um, further headroom. Uh, over these last few months. Uh, and just, you know, for context, there our preferred valuation measure for stocks, the cyclically adjusted PE ratio, is much closer to amber uh, than red in terms of, of how we're seeing, how expensive we see markets today. However, what I would say is given that, you know, policy normalisation has really only just begun and uh, this is poised to be a longer and likely bigger tightening cycle uh, than many anticipate. And of course, you've got those sort of unresolved, tragic geopolitical concerns still to contest with, you know, from a top-down perspective, I think we're still tactically cautious when we think about um, those balance of risks. What I would say, just in terms of kind of positioning from a top-down perspective, is we have seen some value creeping back into bonds, given how much higher yields have moved over, over the quarter. Ten-year um, treasury, close to 3%, for example. That said, here in the, in the UK, your know, 10-year gilt yield, close to 2 it's still below where we see kind of prospective inflation rates settling at. Um, and so for now, I think, you know, we're going to sit tight and Fundamentally, we still think stocks uh, are the kind of asset class that's likely to outperform inflation on a, on a longer term. So, Ruben, given that you build the portfolios from the bottom up, where do the opportunities sort of lead you? Sure. The portfolio? So, portfolio shape hasn't changed that dramatically over the quarter. We have just under 60% today in return assets for a typical inflation plus three portfolio. We've added to a few selective names, as I already mentioned. But we funded that by selling out of our lower conviction holdings, which in this case was Wells Fargo. So broadly, we feel that we've just upgraded the quality of the portfolio um, during the most recent period. Actually, on the diversifying asset side, we added to our holding in Saba Capital, which you can describe as our long short credit manager. And this was following a meeting we had with the manager in New York, where he really highlighted the significant opportunities he still sees in his strategy particularly if we see credit spreads widen, which we haven't done so yet to any great extent. I should also just point out that we currently do not hold any equity market put options, which have been a fairly constant feature on the diversifying side of the portfolio um, over the last few years. We've said over the last year or so that we think they're expensive and they give us far less bang for our buck, which is quite the opposite to what we saw pre-2020 when they were arguably um, very cheap to buy. And just in terms of opportunities, we have what we call our fire drill ready. That's us talking about what we might buy should equity markets fall further. And we think it's important to be thinking about that now when things are somewhat calmer rather than in the heat of the moment. So we're trying to plan ahead and stay open to opportunities. And we're quietly getting excited, but also mindful of risks that Victor's pointed out whether it be higher inflation for longer, interest rates rising further than expected, or some unforeseen event. Um, so patiently looking for opportunities. 
So I normally say to Hugo, what's, what's exciting you? But I know that you and, you and Hugo are different personalities. So when Rupin says getting a bit more excited, that answers the question. <laughs> I'll give the same answer as Hugo. The pork belly is exciting. <laughs> so thank you for listening to our podcast. Um, I hope you found it useful. We do always try and touch on the topics that you might be concerned about or interested in. So um, please do keep sending in any questions that you have to your client mm-hmm. advisors. Um, this is the bit where I say we are available on Spotify and Apple. Um, so if you wish to receive the podcast as soon as they're released or you want to listen to some of the others, uh, please do subscribe uh, to our channel on either of those platforms. I wish you all a good summer. Hopefully, uh, as Rupin said, perhaps markets will be a little bit calmer. Uh, thank you all again for listening. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.